Hello, welcome to the podcast of Jesper Baptist Church. We're continuing in our series on the Beatitudes. The title of the message is Pure in Heart. We're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. And please enjoy. Matthew chapter 5. So each Sunday, we've been taking a different beatitude, and we're walking through them until we get through all of them, um, because this is what Jesus says a true Christian is to look like. These are what true Christians look like. So if you have your places in Matthew chapter 5, one last time, I'm going to invite you to stand, respect, and reverence the Word of God. We're going to read the Scripture, pray, and then sit back down. Matthew chapter 5, begin in verse number 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And this morning's text verse, verse number 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Today's message is pure in heart. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd be with us today. Lord, I pray that you'd meet with us on this place. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would get out of our minds all the distractions that we have, Lord. Help us to focus on the Word of God, to focus on what the Scripture says today, Lord. Lord, please, Lord, meet with us today. Teach us from your Word, O Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. So we're talking about, uh, we're talking about the Beatitudes today, uh, this, in this series. So when we started out, we started out with the root system. I want you to remember the Beatitudes were growing a Christian life. Okay, so this is a progression. These are rungs on a ladder. These are steps on a staircase. You can't get to number six or seven without starting at the bottom and working your way up. One, two, three, four, five. So you can't have peace unless you start back here at poor in spirit. So when we started out, we started out the root system. And the first place you start out is poor in spirit. This is spiritual poverty. This means you understand that you have nothing to offer God. And the next step is mourning. What you're mourning is you're mourning your sin. Your sin, uh, your sinful state, the effects of your sin... And then the next is you come to is you come to meekness. This brings you to a place of meekness. This brings you to a place of humbleness before God, humbleness before man. Meekness is power under control. It's self-discipline. This is the root system of the Christian life. What grows from that is a plant that is hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You bring in the light, you bring in the water, you bring in the nutrients, you bring in the righteousness so the righteousness can flow out of you. 
Now from this life grows the fruit. And the fruit is what we're going into now. We talked about mercy and how mercy is part of the fruit. You can't truly give mercy until you've received mercy. And that's what a Christian has done. A Christian has received the mercy of God through salvation. Now the fruit on their tree is they're a merciful person. They can go to God and obtain more mercy and their time of need. They can come before the throne of grace. Now what we're going to talk about today is pure in heart. The next one is peace. And then the last one is persecution. Because of this, you'll be persecuted. And that's just kind of an overview of what we're going through when uh, we're talking about the Beatitudes. Um, and, 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 and Christ in this verse, he says, he talks about seeing God. Let me tell you something. We are going to see God one day. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that a great fact that in Christ you will see him one day? You're going to see God. You're going to see Jesus. You're going to see this. This is a wonderful promise that we've been given in the word of God. Another thing we're talking about is we're talking about being pure in heart. Now, listen, I have always been a fan of comic book superheroes. I've just always I'm a nerd like that. Um, it, for me, it's, it's, it's Marvel over DC, but Batman's better than everybody because Batman is so cool, okay? But today we're rising up of this, uh, this thing of the anti-hero, but back in the day, one of the, one of the prerequisites that a hero had to have is a hero had to be pure in heart. Oh, Superman, he's never going to turn on us because he's pure of heart, and he would never do that. He's so pure. But, you know, the, I want to tell you today that the world has a wrong view of what pure in heart is. And that's ingrained in us so that we as well have a wrong view of what pure in heart is. Um, and, and as Christians, we come to this place, you know, we've done all this stuff when we come to pure in heart. And that phrase pure in heart, it scares us. And we think pure of heart. I'm not pure of heart. How, I'm not going to be pure in heart. How am I going to be? I mean, I started back here at spiritual poverty, saying I've got nothing to offer God. I've admitted that I'm a sinner. I've got an attitude of meekness and humbleness before God. I can't be pure in heart. Well, do you think the Bible would ask you to do something that you can't do? This is something that a Christian has the ability to do, to be pure in heart. And we have this wrong idea of what pure in heart means. We think pure in heart means to be sinless. Man, to be pure in heart means I've got to be sinless. I was visiting with my pastor years ago when we were visiting a lady in the church. She was a sister to one of the members in the church. And she uh, had some health problems, so she didn't get out much. We went to her house and we began talking to her and we began sharing the gospel with her, and you know, it was a very, very cold reception, and we got to talking about sin, and uh, she looked at my preacher, and she said, you know what, uh, let me ask you a question, have you ever sinned? And Brother Dennis looked back at her and said, yes, I've sinned, I'm a sinner. She was flabbergasted. 
She's like, could, she could not believe that this preacher was, was sitting in her living room telling her that, that she was a sinner. She said, man, I thought because you're a preacher, you're going to stand there and tell me you're sinless. And Brother Dennis said, no, I am definitely, definitely not sinless. And I'm here to tell you today, Christian, that is not what pure in heart means. Pure in heart does not mean you will never have any, another evil thought. Pure in heart does not mean you will never have another lustful thought. That's not what pure in heart means. In fact, the Bible says in 1 John 1.8, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So people, we have, so we have this, 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 this people have this wrong idea that Purity means sinless, and it doesn't. A.W. Pink says, purity of heart is not sinlessness of life. Like I said, we're not talking about something that's impossible for a Christian to attain. Okay? So what is it? If it's not that, what is it? What you have to understand is that when it comes to purity, the Bible talks about purity in a few different ways. The first way that the Bible talks about purity is there is a purity and a holiness that is God's alone. That's the first way the Bible talks about purity. Isaiah 6.3, And one called out to another, these are angels, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. I want you to think about is these are in and of themselves holy angels. These are holy angels who are looking at God. And as they look at God, they say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the Lord God Almighty. And they say, Holy, holy, holy three times for the three persons in the Trinity. And they say this even though they're holy angels. But the holy angels know the difference between their created holiness and His eternal holiness. One day, me and you in heaven will be holy. The angels are holy. But all this is, is a reflection of God's holiness. Like the moon reflects the light from the sun, our holiness one day and the angels' holiness are a reflection of God's holiness. He is the source of holiness. So the first way the Bible talks about purity and holiness is a purity and holiness that is God's and God's alone. The second way that the Bible talks about purity and holiness is one that will be ours in heaven one day. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. Now look at that. There's another connection between seeing God and being pure. Between seeing God and being holy. He connects these in the Bible once again. Let me tell you something. In the presence of Jesus, there will be no sin in you, on you, or around you. There will be no sin when, you're, when you stand before Jesus. But like I said before, that's a reflection. It's not holiness from within you. It's a reflection of God's holiness. Is he is the source. Now there's a third way that the Bible talks about purity and holiness, 
And that is something that we can pursue now. And this goes back to our text verse. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Okay, so if this purity and this holiness, if it's not sinlessness, then what is it? Okay, I've got two statements this morning. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and give them to you now. A pure heart is, a number one, a heart that's undivided. And number two, it's a heart that is made clean. It is a heart that's undivided, and it is a heart that's made clean. So I'm going to go walk through these two statements this morning and what they mean from the Word of God. So the first statement we're going to look at, we're going to call it the blessing of an undivided heart. The blessing of an undivided heart. I want you to think about a water filter. Remember those, who's got one of those Brita water filters? Anybody got some of those? Man, those things are cool. You fill the top up and it's drip, 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 and it fills up and you put it in the fridge. And then you got those pure ones where you put on the end of the faucet and, and you know, you turn the thing up and, and it filters the water. So it's filtering the water. It's, it's filtering out all the impurities, is it not? Okay, well, What's it doing on a more basic level? On a basic level, it's narrowing the ingredients down to one. It's narrowing all the ingredients down to just the H2O, to just the water. The Greek word for pure is katharos, and it's like refining metal. When you refine metal, uh, you get all the impurities, the silver and the dross, the slag from the gold. And uh, at the root, this word at its root, it means unity. It means to unify. So purity has with it this idea of, of, of unity, of, of unifying. Now, look, of course, the Beatitudes is the introduction in the Sermon on the Mount. And there's a verse in the Sermon on the Mount that touches on this. And it's Matthew 6, 22. I'm going to read it for you, and I'm going to read it out of the KJV because I like the way the KJV puts it. It says in Matthew 6, 22, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. Now, look, there's some versions that say if thy eye be healthy and things of that nature, and that is a correct translation as well. But, man, the King James, in that verse, it just it, it gets right to the heart of the word. If your eye be single, your whole body shall be full of light. Caleb was having headaches. Couldn't figure out what was going on, doing all this stuff, and then... Somebody said, why don't you take him to the eye doctor? We took him to the eye doctor. He had a weak eye. And what we had to do is we had to cover up the strong eye to let the weak eye get stronger. Now, at first, he wasn't too thrilled about this. But all I had to say was, you'll look like a pirate. He bought it. He loved, we, we went online and we got him a patch with some skull and crossbones on it. And man, he was Captain Jack and he was, he was a pirate. So much so that at the, at when it was over with and he was, we had to pull the patch away from him. No, you can't wear it anymore. You're fine. We had to make him take the patch off because he wanted to wear it. He wanted to be a pirate. Now, here's the thing. What we had to do was we had to cover up one eye 
so that we could focus on just that weak eye. There is a blessing in a single heart. There is a blessing in an undivided heart. There is a blessing in a focused heart. So this idea of unifying your desires, of looking after only Christ, looking after only the kingdom of God, that is what's going to bring you happiness. That is what's going to bring you <clears throat> contentment. Okay? It's, it's just because being double-minded puts you in darkness. It puts you in darkness because you can't serve two masters at the same time. So you see that, that Christ called us to live, uh, not live a divided life with one eye on the world and one eye on Christ. He called us not to do that. And you may say, bro, what does this have to do with a, with, with a pure heart? It has everything to do with it. It has everything to do with it. There's a philosopher and a theologian called Saren Kierkegaard, and he said, purity of heart is to will one thing. So the opposite, if, 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 a, if, a, if pure in heart is a unified heart, the opposite of that is a divided heart. The opposite of that is Elijah standing up on Mount Carmel, looking at the people of Israel and saying, why, how, why are you, how long will you halt between two opinions? If God be God, follow God. If Baal be God, follow Baal. Make a decision. Pick a lane. So Christian, I ask us a question today. How long are we going to try to live for Jesus but at the same time compromise with the world? How long are we going to try and do that? How long are we going to try and be stretched out in two different places at one time? You can't be blessed like that. There's no purity in that. There's no singleness in that. There's no singleness of I. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress, and one of the characters in that book was called Mr. Facing Both Ways. And that's what we try to do as Christians. We try to be Mr. or Mrs. Facing Both Ways. And so we're split. We never fully commit to our sins, but at the same time, we never fully commit to Christ. And when I'm over here with this group of people, I have to act this way. And when I'm over here with this group of people, I have to act another way. And when a person from this world is in the same room with a person from this world, I have to walk on eggshells because I'm a different person within each one. And there's no, there's no happiness in that. There's no, con there's no contentment. That's a stressful way to live your life. You're divided. You're divided. Finding blessing is to live, is to will one thing. James says this in four, James 4, 8. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, listen to this, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So once again, the Bible connects being pure of heart to being either single or double-minded. It, so this is a connection here. James also says about this person who's double-minded 
that they're unstable in all their ways. Okay, well, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to purify your heart. How do you do that? You have a single eye. You focus on one thing. The best illustration of this is Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14. This is the best illustration of this. He says, Paul says, listen to this. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. Let's stop there. He said, and you can actually turn there if you want to, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, if you want to turn there. He's saying, okay, I'm not perfect. That's what he said. He said, I'm not perfect. I never claim to be perfect. I'll never be perfect. And guess what, Christian? Me and you will never be perfect either. Can I get an amen? We're never going to be perfect. Just like Paul, we are never going to be perfect. So Paul doesn't think he's perfect. He doesn't claim to be. But then he continues, uh, drop down a little bit, and it says in verse 13, but one thing I do, let's stop again. Paul says, hey, I am not perfect, but I can do one thing. Okay, Paul, what's the one thing you can do? He says, Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. He says, I'm not perfect, but I can do one thing. I can leave this behind and only focus on one thing. Okay, Paul, what are you focusing on? I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's purity of heart. I'm not perfect. I am not sinless. I am going to mess up over and over and over and over again. I am not perfect. But there is one thing I can do. I can leave this stuff behind and only focus on Christ. That's something that I can do. And when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, he is saying, blessed is the heart that is unified. Blessed is the heart that is undivided. Today, in this service, you can make the decision that I will no longer be Mr. or Mrs. facing both ways. You can make that decision today. Psalms 86.11 says, Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Listen to this. Unite my heart to fear your name. Man, we're finding this theme all over the Bible, aren't we? This thing about uniting our heart, having an undivided heart. He says, unite my heart. Make it focused. Unify it to fear your name. He's saying, Lord, my heart is, 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 is all over the place. I'm being torn in, in different directions. I'm having to act well, a different way when I'm around different uh, people. And I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to have to pretend to be somebody I'm not. I just want to act one way. I just want to live for one thing. I don't want to have to be two separate people. I want to be one person. It gets tiring trying to be two separate people. I just want to live one life. I want to unite my heart. And just like Paul, we can say, God, I am definitely not perfect, 
but I can do one thing. I can stop living a double life and I can only focus on you. That's something I can do. And that's actually honest. It's, it's undeceptive. And that is what the Bible means when it says pure in heart. It's not sinlessness. It is oneness. It is singleness. It is unifying in one direction. Okay, so that's the first thing we have is the blessing of an undivided heart. All right, let's go to the second statement. We call this the blessing of a clean heart. The blessing of a clean heart. When you get saved, a bond is formed between you and Christ. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. There's a bond now. The Bible says you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are bonded with Christ when we come into a relationship with Him. There are blessings attached to this bonding. I want to talk about three of them. I could not stand up here and give you all the blessings, okay? We'd be here to midnight, okay? But I want to talk about three of these blessings. Now, as I talk about these three blessings that come with being bonded into Christ, being sealed in the Holy Spirit in this relationship with Him. As I talk about these three, I'm going to talk about the three, and then when I get to the end, I'm going to tie it up in a nice ribbon, okay? You might say, well, what do these have to do with what you're talking about? When I get to the end, I'm going to tie it up in a nice bow, okay? So one of the blessings we have is called justification, Now, justification is a legal term. It is a legal term. And what justification means is justification means that God drops all the charges against you. You understand that a Christian does not get into heaven because they don't sin. That's not why Christians get into heaven. Christians get into heaven because the charges against you because of your sin, have been dropped. That's why Christians get into heaven. The sins were not charged to us. They were charged to Jesus. The punishment for our sins were put on Christ. The Bible says the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So in Christ, your debt has been paid in full. They cannot be charged to you on the last day. Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm justified and because I'm because God justified me, now I have peace with that. A couple weeks ago, we talked about, excuse me, we talked about justice and mercy, and how Christianity is the only religion with a supreme being that, that, that only, not only fully satisfies mercy, but also fully satisfies justice. Take Islam, for, existence, uh, for instance. Islam sweeps the justice under the rug and just gives mercy. So those sins, nothing ever happens. There's no justice. Sin does, in fact, pay. But in Christianity, God doesn't forget about justice. God's mercy and God's justice was satisfied on the cross of Calvary. 
We talked about that a couple Sundays ago. Okay, a just God cannot demand payment for sin that has already been atoned for, or he wouldn't be just. It's already been paid. The debt has already been paid. If he did, that would be an unjust thing. That's why I have assurance in my salvation, because it's in the hands of a just God. I'm sealed by Christ. Justification is a legal term in which Jesus drops all the charges against me. Okay, now let's stop for a second. You may say, well, um, Brett, I thought that, you know, uh, you're talking about a payment for our sins being taken away, but we still get punished in this life. Yes, that is a great point. That is a great question. And you're absolutely right. You have to understand, when it comes to God, while me and you may put discipline and punishment in the same category, God doesn't. God's put punishments over here, and you can call it correction. You can call it discipline. He separates the two. For God, these are two separate things, okay? Um, if our sins are paid, do we experience punishment or correction in this life? Absolutely, we do. Like I said, he looks at these things differently. In the Bible, it's clear. The punishment for our sin is eternal separation from God in a place called the lake of fire. That, that's the punishment for our sin. Uh, the Bible says that. But what you have to also understand is that we live in a fallen world. We have a fallen nature. There is a, there is a principle in our world called the principle of sowing and reaping. You, whatever you sow, you're going to reap that. And when you reap that, you're going to reap the temporal consequences of your sin. You, you are going to be, have the side effects of your sin brought onto you as a result of the fallen world, as a result of reaping and sowing, as a result of our fallen sin nature. And there's a Bible verse for this. Hebrews 12, 7. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? So yes, when you mess up, you're not just like completely free and clear in this life. There are, there are temporal uh, side effects, temporal consequences for your sin. God's going to correct you. God's going to discipline you. But make no mistake, the punishment for your sin is an eternal punishment. It's an eternal punishment. But when I'm justified, those charges against me are dropped and your eternal punishment is paid for by Christ. Now there's another blessing. There's another blessing that's called forgiveness. Now forgiveness is relational. Forgiveness is reconciling you to God in Christ Jesus. I want you to think about this. Once you were his enemy, and now you're his friend. And forgiveness is relational. Love is love can be one-sided. You can love somebody and them not love you back. God deals with that all the time. He deals with that all the time. 
But forgiveness is, is a two-party thing. You have a forgiver and you have the forgiven. And when that happens, a reconciliation is formed. The he, Bible says he forgives all your sins. Uh, Hebrews 10, 17. And their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. I like the way Micah puts it in Micah 7, 19. He again will have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast their sins into the depths of the sea. You know, there's an old preacher that preached and he said, when God throws your sins into the sea, he puts up a no fishing sign. Because that's what happens when God throws our sins into the sea. So look, we've got some great gifts, don't we? We've got some great blessings that come with this bond with Jesus. There's a legal aspect to it called justification in which he drops all the charges around us. There, 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 there's a relational aspect to us where we're reconciled uh, to Christ. He reconciles us to himself. But the third one, it goes into the heart of the beatitude and it's a personal aspect and it's called cleansing. It's called cleansing. In Christ, God washes your heart and your life. You wake up. It's a nice day out. The sun is shining. You've got some extra time. You've got some extra jingle jangle in your pocket. And so you're, man, my, my car is kind of dirty. I'm going to go get a car wash. So you whip into Mr. Tom's and you're looking at the price list. And man, you're feeling good that day. And man, you don't want no $8 car wash. You don't want no $10 car wash. You want top dollar. You want, you want the $12 hot wax rain X triple action foam, clean the tires. I want them neon lights on because the neon lights are going to make my car cleaner. And so you go in that car wash and you pay top dollar and you go through the car wash and man, the neon lights is on and you see the foam and it's a different color and man, it dries your car and just comes out squeaky clean and you pull into the vacuum and you start vacuuming your car and you get to the back seat and you start vacuuming and as you vacuum your car, you feel something on the back of your neck, a little drop. And so then as you pull the, the vacuum and you roll it back up, man, it starts to sprinkle. And so then you get in your car, and as you pull out on the road, the bottom falls out. You're like, oh, I just wasted all that money. Because when I get home tonight, my car is going to be filthy. Let me tell you something. At the end of the week, your car is going to be filthy anyway. Because guess what? You are going to be, are you, you are going to be, uh, you are going to pick up dirt as you go down the road. It can't be helped. It can't be stopped. It's going to happen. Emily, I'm sorry. Can you go get me a water? I forgot to get me a water. It's just like when you go into, uh, when you go get, uh, buy clothes, you're going to wash them. You're not going to buy clothes. I had a guy in college that did that. He would buy clothes, wear them until they got dirty, and he wore them for a while. And then he would throw them away and go buy new clothes because he didn't know how to wash a wash, didn't know how to work a washing machine. Amen. <laughs> That's what he did. Okay, uh, but listen, uh, you that that car is going to get dirty. You've got to wash it. It's going to pick up 
dirt from the road. Look, justification is something that happens once. It's a legal transaction. It improves your standing before God. Uh, reconciliation is something that happens once. Uh, your sins are, are, are put under the sea. Uh, you're, 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 you, when you sin, you're not an enemy of God. You're in the love of God. But cleansing is different. Cleansing is different because I need cleansing on a continual basis. I need to be cleansed over and over and over and over again. Psalms 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Wash my heart, cleanse my heart, purify my heart constantly. Now we talked about these three aspects of our bond with Christ. Did you know there's a verse in the Bible that touches on all three in one single verse? And that's 1 John 1, 9. And it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, there's our justification, to forgive our sins, there's our forgiveness, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, there's the cleansing. All three in the same verse. He's justifying you. That's why you can stand before him. He's recon he forgives, so he's reconciling you so you can have a relationship with the Father. But it doesn't stop there. And if you stop there, you miss out on the rest of the gospel as he cleanses us. John says he's faithful to cleanse us. One of the things that, that, that Jesus, that this relationship with Jesus does is that Christ has the ability to cleanse your heart. He can wash your life. Faith in Christ is the confidence in His ability to justify, His ability to forgive, and His ability to cleanse you through the power of His shed blood. Yes, He cancels the charges against me. Yes, He reconciles me to the Father, but I can also, uh, so I can have a relationship with Him, but He can also cleanse your heart. He can cleanse the heart gripped by addiction. He can cleanse the heart consumed with lust. He can cleanse the heart gripped by greed. He can cleanse the heart held by pride. And any other sin you want to put on that list. I'm fixing to say something that's, that's not very politically correct. I'm not going to say it, It's not. But I really, I really don't care because it's truth. The thing is, if this Bible calls it a sin, then Christ can give you power to overcome it. If this Bible calls it a sin, then Christ, through the power of Christ, through the power of His blood, and through His Word, He can give you the power to overcome it. He can. You know, there's so many people that say, man, I know Jesus can forgive me, but I don't think he can cleanse me. Brett, what you, what you got to understand about me? I've got baggage. I've got baggage. Brett, I have seen things, and I have done things that's in here, and I don't see them ever leaving. 
Oh, I believe He can forgive me, but I don't think I'll ever be different. And you say, oh, I believe in Christ. I'm here to tell you that you don't believe in the Christ of the Bible. Not yet. If you don't believe that Christ can cleanse you, if you don't believe yet in the Christ of the Bible, well, I know He can forgive, but you also have to believe that He can take care of that baggage in your life. He can take care of that baggage in your heart. He can. The Jesus of the Bible can cleanse and purify messed up lives and messed up hearts and messed up minds. That's what He came here to do. The, Bible, the angel said, you shall call his name Jesus and he shall save people from their sin. Jesus came to deal with compulsive habits. Jesus came to deal with addiction. Jesus came to deal with wicked thoughts. This is what Jesus came here to do. He didn't come here just to justify a people. He came here to sanctify a people. Sanctify. He not... Jesus offers so much more than forgiveness. He offers so much more, not only to forgive us, but to make us holy. Titus 3, 5 says, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. He came to make you new. He came to wash you. And what will happen in this washing, the longer you're washed and the longer you're cleansed and the longer you go through this sanctification process, what you're going to find is the things that you used to love, now you hate. The things that used to be attractive to you, now they've become repulsive to you. And not only that, the things you used to hate, now you love. You've never been big on going to church. You've never been big on praying. You've never been big on reading your Bible. But now those things are starting to draw you in because you're changing. You're being washed. You're being sanctified. He's doing a work in you. You understand that this, this washes you every time you read it. Every time you read this book, it washes you. It cleans you. It cleanses you. Man, he can't make me clean. I've got too much baggage. Well, let me tell you something. There was a murderer. His name was Saul. And I guarantee you there was not a person in this room today who was worse than Saul was. I guarantee you. And if he can cleanse Saul and turn him to Paul, then he can cleanse me and you. He can do it. He has the ability, but you got to believe it. You got to take that first step and you have to say in your heart and believe, I believe that Christ can change me. I believe that Christ can cleanse me. And once you take that step of believing, the next step is asking him to do it. You have to ask him to do it. That's faith. That's faith was a doctor in the early 1800s. His name was Dr. Semmelwiss. Dr. Semmelwiss was a doctor in 1818. And back then there was a, an issue, it was a sickness. It was called childbed fever. 
in which one out of every six women died in childbirth. One out of every six women. This doctor, Dr. Semmelweis, he was the first doctor to understand there was a correlation between him washing his hands and his, his patients not dying. Over 11 years of practice, he delivered 8,537 babies and only lost 184 mothers. Now, listen, 184 is high, but that's better than one out of every six. That's 2%. You see, the doctors of the day, how they would start their day is in the morning they would come in and they would get their autopsies out of the way and then they would go and they would do their, you know, uh, see their patients. And he was killing people. And that doctor stood up and he debated for years. He would debate and debate and debate and say, all you have to do is wash your hands. We sit here and we talk and we talk and we talk and women are dying. All you have to do is wash your hands. And nobody believed him. He went insane. He died at 47 years old. And you know what they did with his wash pans? They threw them away. It would be decades and decades before doctors would begin to wash their hands. How often do you wash your hands? How often do you wash your heart? How often do you cleanse your heart? See, the longer you're in Jesus, the more he cleanses you. The more you read his word and learn about the Bible, the more he cleanses you. The more you ask Him and pray to Him, cleanse me, O God. Please clean me up. The more He cleanses you. We go through our life and we pick up dirt in this life. We pick up dirt. We've got to ask God to clean us up. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And this purity... This process of cleansing over and over and over and getting cleaner and cleaner and cleaner and cleaner and the Christian's life, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat until one day when we stand before Jesus, we won't need to be clean, cleansed anymore. We'll be perfectly holy. We'll be perfectly cleansed on that day, but not now. Today is the day when we need to be cleansed over and over and over. So we need to get into the Word to cleanse us. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to cleanse us, to be pure in heart. Focus only on Christ.